You know that space in your office or study that is just loaded with creative projects? An easel with a half-finished painting? A song that's complete but not recorded? Or a notebook of poetry just waiting to be shared? Welcome to Crowded Corner, a podcast where we unpack that nook, corner, or room jam-packed with creativity. I'm your host, Amberly Harsh, and I will be guiding you through each episode. Expect music, writing, and drama as I collaborate and collide with other creative hearts in my community to unpack our crowded study corners. This is episode two, and the completion of a reading of one of my own stories, The Bed of the Deceased. Please be aware my pieces can be a bit intense as I delve into subject matters of mental health, repercussions of abuse, and supernatural haunting. I hope you enjoy the completion of this story, and I look forward to future adventures with you. Now I was standing in that kitchen, waiting for my water to boil, and breathing in the smoky, distasteful residue of the past. I could hear snow crunches coming from the back porch, heavy footsteps starting to patrol the house. I stood very still, pretending this was not happening. I closed my eyes and tried to convince myself this was a Prosecco-induced dream, and I hadn't actually arrived at that house. I still had time to tell Saul and Nana I'd rather not go. I could mourn like a normal human being, at their funeral. I wasn't normal. They had not allowed me the luxury of being normal. They had created a stunted young girl who didn't allow people to help when things got difficult. They created me, who decided to lock myself up to force myself to feel anything for them. The scream of the kettle woke me from my stiff trance. I opened the cupboard that I had just seen rattle and shake to grab a mug. Taped to the inside of the door was a picture of my 15-year-old self cuddling Jem on the porch just before my dad's illness had struck. My hair was down in the photo, wild and everywhere. Poor old Jim was just like in other pictures, skinny and deteriorated. I peeled the photo off, my gut tightening as I thought about who would have taped this up here. I shakily turned the picture over in my hand, scrawled across the back in my mother's delicate handwriting, these things I regret. I folded the picture and pocketed it, the crawl along my neck tightened. A warm breath hit my cheek with a soft, chilling voice. You abandoned us. I snagged the mug, slammed the cupboard shut, and made myself some apple cinnamon tea. My stomach was aching, and my head was pounding as I walked out of the kitchen. The haunting of the house pushed against my temples and squeezed my eyes shut. I was feeling utterly exhausted. I needed to lie down. I glanced at the couch, but my gaze was snagged by the exposed pier glass, the quilt crumpled at its feet. I could see that monster grinning back at me. Leave me alone, I choked out. Her lips deceptively moved in unison with mine. I ran over to her, grabbed the quilt and covered her up again. I needed to find some refuge. I briskly walked through the living room and headed down the bedroom hallway. My old room's door was open a crack. I hesitantly pushed it open. It appeared pristine, just as I had left it ten years ago. My vanity center had my teenage makeup cluttering it. Bits and pieces of cheap makeup, the cheapest blue drugstore eyeshadow, 
the darkest shade of red lipstick, mascara that had gone clumpy within a couple days' use, eyeliners you had to press hard to your eyelid so your eye hurt and your lid turned red. The vanity center itself was a tacky white plastic made to look like wood with a pink frame around the mirror. On my bed was a pink and white patched quilt my mom had made when I was three or four. It made me sad to think about being that young. In my memory, things were actually good in my early years. I remembered things started to shift shortly after I turned 12 or 13. That's when my dad started getting aggressive with Jem. As a kid, I don't recall what could have caused that shift. My mom started doing mother-daughter outings with me once or twice a week. I don't remember what came first, my dad's aggression or mother-daughter outings. Anyways, when I was younger, things weren't terrible. We would watch movies as a family, go out for dinner here and there, picnic every so often. My dad could be moody and a little rougher with his play and would sometimes leave us for days at a time. But overall, I was pretty content. I know my mom and dad would fight during that time, but I don't remember him ever laying an aggressive hand on her. But around 12 or 13, my mom and I were close. We would giggle and laugh together and tell stories. I would help her with my brothers as much as I could and would tell her everything. That disintegrated after he hit us a couple times. It started with a smack here or a shove there, usually after my mom or I would say something to make the other laugh. He would call us cackling hens a lot. I closed my door, attempting to block out the presence of the rest of the house. I noted how bare my walls were. It didn't seem odd to me when I was a teenager, but returning there, it made me devastated. I never actually nested there. I never actually called it home. It was a prison cell. As a teenager, I didn't even have any hobbies that I remembered. Everything I did for fun there was blurry. Most of my teenage memories were of Nana's place. Most memories from Nana's place were good. Some were tougher, but Nana had saved me. Still shivering, I settled into my bed and drowsily fell into a broken, sickly slumber. Trampling footsteps in the hall, shrieking screams, and slamming doors terrified me awake. I sat up in my bed, my heart pounding. I listened, barely breathing. There was silence. Deathly quiet. I allowed a few breaths to escape, waiting for more noise, more indication of the ghost that inhabited the house. For a while, I remained perched in fright. Then I heard it, the same scratching that had persisted in the kitchen. It wasn't on my door, but somewhere down the hallway. I was tempted to stay locked in my bedroom, but I knew I needed to see the origin of the racket. Slowly, I emerged from the refuge of my quilts and creaked open the door to the hallway. I heard the scratching and clawing intensify and the sound of a door rattling in its frame. I knew which door it had to be. Down the hallway, just before the living room, we had a storage room. I knew exactly whose presence would be within that room. I slowly and cautiously made my way through the empty hallway watching the door at the end bump and rattle with the incessant clawing. When I reached it, whatever I had been trying to escape desisted. The hallway went silent. I put my hand to the knob, and instantaneously a whimper sounded from the other side.
My guts burned with anticipation. Fog breathed out from underneath the door. Another pathetic whine sounded, and more scratches against the bottom of the door. Jem? I whispered. I was accompanied by another whine. The whine that the creature let out was one that brought me back to the times my dad would take it out on poor Jem and lock her up in there. I was so afraid to see the mess that Jem had been left in after I disappeared. Slowly I turned the knob and opened the door. In the black of the broom closet I couldn't see anything. I stepped back, not wanting to discover what was within there, but knowing I needed to. For a moment, nothing happened. I stood, breathing heavy in that empty hallway. Then there was movement in the back, and fog. A black paw appeared, reaching out from the room. Jem? My voice squeaked. Whatever creature was in there did not appear to be healthy. I felt a tight lump in my throat. My eyes began to ache, but I could not look away. A resemblance of Jim entered the hallway. She was a disaster. Part of her lip was ripped off, so half her teeth were always bared. Her left eye was permanently shut, and shiny, sticky blood lined beneath it and made a path to her mouth. Patches of hair were missing from the top of her head. She held up her front right paw and gave out a strangled whine. She hobbled out of the room towards me, and I saw her skinny body. Her rib bones pressed tight against her skin. Hunks of flesh hung from off her body, and she was covered in sticky, wet, matted patches. I couldn't move or speak. I stared at the disgusting tragedy in front of me. Her nose was enlarged, misshapen, and had a glob of ruby-red blood dropping from it. She collapsed right in front of me, giving out abandoned cries. I knelt down. Oh, Jim. The house seemed to shake, and my brother's bedroom door flung open. They peeked out at me, snickering. More mist filled the hallway, and I knew the witch was on her way from that reflective home. You never even really cared about her. Kyle said. Zach gave a scratchy laugh. Jem's good paw reached out for me. I sat staring at her. Then the witch joined me. I felt her gather my hair at the back and stroke the top of my head. You then, her serpent voice breathed. My head spun, the fog filled my nostrils, and I lied down face to face with Jem. Her breath kissed my nose. I could smell decay. And as I stared into her face, her desiccated mouth opened, and little white maggots spilled onto the floor. I could hear my brother's abrasive laughter as they ran down the hallway. The smell and the fog overwhelmed me, and I blacked out. When I came to, morning light spilled onto my face, and my mom's made quilts wrapped around me. My vanity center was just as I had left it. My door was still closed. I felt much more rested than I had felt since I had arrived. My body was a comfortable temperature. Once again, I was certain it was my subconscious working things out. I got out of bed, checked my complexion in my vanity center's mirror. My cheeks were red and lively. My eyes glistened with health. I walked out into the hallway. It was much warmer than it had been yesterday, and it was much more inviting. I walked to the closet at the end of the hall and abruptly pulled the door open. It was stacked to the ceiling with boxes. I gave a sigh of relief. 
Then I noticed a plethora of scratch marks at the base of the door, and the scent of decay reached my nose. I pulled out the photo in my pocket of Jem and me. I flipped it over. These things I regret. I swiftly shut the door closed and pocketed the picture. I walked out into the living room. The quilt was where I had left it, covering the mirror. The sunlight poured through the windows, and I relaxed on the couch with my book. Everything was normal, and the whispering melody of the haunted house was nothing but a bad dream. That day I relaxed in the house of my youth, resting in my mom's quilts, reminiscing the times I would sit with my mom at the kitchen table, talking about my high school drama. I remembered playing cards with my brothers and beating them at video games. I went through my mom's cookbooks and pulled recipes I could use for Saul and myself. I went through photo albums of summer vacations and Christmas gatherings. I ignored the bruises that would show up on my mom and me every so often in those smiling photos. Based on everything kept in that house, we were a loving, happy family, and that made me feel normal and at peace. I did not, however, remove that quilt from over top of that pier glass. I was not willing to jeopardize the comfort I had found. I still every so often would have the sense that she was watching, waiting for her moment, but I would attribute these feelings to just the shakes you experience after a nightmare or a scary movie. That night, I slept in my room again, a calm slumber with no broken dreams. I had one more day there, and Saul was coming in the morning the next day. When I woke up, I woke up cold to my core. I could see the steam of my breath. I was wrapped in my quilt and wandered out of my room. The whole house was freezing again. I walked down the hallway into the living room to check the thermostat, but I was stopped dead in my tracks. The quilt had fallen again. I turned around and headed to the kitchen, pretending I saw nothing. The feel of the house had shifted once again. I knew she and her minions were around. I needed to leave that house, at least for a break. I grabbed my winter jacket and boots and charged into the snowy forest to escape the watching witch of the walls. I pulled my cell phone from my coat pocket and cringed at the two bars of reception. I dialed Saul's number, hoping the two bars would be enough to reach the real world. The fresh snow sunk with each stomp I made. Three rings sounded, and just as I was certain his answering machine would catch me, his urgent voice broke through. Hello? Hey, just calling because I'm a bit lonely. My voice sounded strained, strained, cracked, and terrified. I hadn't realized how shaky I was until I was trying to keep the phone steady to my ear. You okay? You sound... upset, he completed in an uncertain tone. I'm okay. Just really... lonely here. I knew I shouldn't have left you there. Do you want me to come get you? No, I said hesitantly. Really? You don't sound like you're doing well. What will staying there accomplish? Believe me, it's important I stay. You don't sound very convinced. A dart of a figure between the trees distracted me from the conversation. Automatically my body froze, and a wave of illness shuddered through my veins as I was reminded of that nasty creature in the pier glass. Had she followed me? 
I'm going to come get you, or at least... I barely noticed the lost reception. I was focused on another shadowy flick in the trees. I pocketed my phone and proceeded toward where the movement had originated. Two black ravens were sharing in the scraps of a dead creature. They warbled, clicked, squawked, and nattered in horrid, throaty voices as they tore flesh from a rigid rodent lying in the snow. As they hopped over the body, shredding pieces, they grew larger and altered shape, making cackling, laughing, gulping, and slurping noises. Their forms extended, warbled, and filled, one a little taller than the other. Their beaks narrowed and shrank. Their feathers turned to clothing, and their heads were covered in black mops of hair. My brothers, in their childhood form. The rodent had also grown into a human body, but I couldn't make out any features except a mess of long black hair. They stopped their feast and looked directly at me. Their hair was messy and greasy. Their eyes were glowing green with loose black bags beneath them. Their thin lips like they were stitched together. Sticky red paste covered their mouths, chins, and hands as they loomed over the lifeless dark-haired body in the snow. His own lips broke open as they spoke in unison. We were High-pitched squeals returned their apparitions to massive ravens. Their giant bodies smacked me to the ground. I woke face first in a snowbank, my mouth filled with melted snow. I coughed and sputtered and shifted to get up. I moved my hand to push myself up, and a heavy crunch and squish beneath it made me spring up. A half-eaten weasel was lying face down where my hand had pressed. I wasn't sure how long I had been lying in that snow. But my body was numb. I needed to go warm up. I needed to return to what I was now starting to realize was my prison. I decided I would warm up in bed and then I would leave. I went to my room, closed the door, wrapped in my quilt, and shivered and shook. I thought back to Jem's rotten breath and decaying body. I remembered my bully brothers. I remembered her and I knew I needed to leave that house. The destruction of my father was too much for that house to handle, and there was no blocking it. It was stupid of me to come back. There was nothing left here but demolished lives. As much as I should have been feeling guilt for abandoning them, I was feeling relief in the fact I had gotten away. Now my return put that all in jeopardy. The house was jealous of my escape. I could feel her malice directed at me. I needed to go. I would walk to the nearest town and stay in a hotel, call Saul from there. When my temperature had regulated, I grabbed the small amount of belongings I had and set out of that demonic dwelling place. I trudged through the snow a short distance when something black flicked behind a tree. I was not going to be distracted. I needed to leave. The creature was following me along my walk. It seemed to be growing in stature as it stomped between the trees. I started to run. When I turned a corner in the forest, there he stood. I tumbled to the ground in exhaustion and fright. I woke up on the porch in a fit of fear. There was no way I was going to attempt running again if he was out there. I stood and automatically felt a shock of pain in my side. Lifting my shirt, I discovered a bruise below my ribs, reminiscent of the ones I had acquired in my youth. My throat filled with a lump, and I hugged my shoulders. Where did I have to go now?
I was not about to go near him. I thought about Jem, and I was not going to end up like her. All I could do is wait it out in the house until Saul came the next morning. I went into the kitchen and turned on the kettle. As I stood waiting for the water to boil, a faint scent of lilac surrounded me. Margaret, a soft voice cooed from the bedroom hallway. I left the kitchen for that enticing voice, the first friendly sound I had heard since I had arrived. I found myself standing at the entrance of my parents' bedroom. I stopped outside. The smell of lilacs ran in intense springs up my nose. My body felt warm. I was wrapped in a blanket of my mother's scent as I broke the barrier of the room. I looked at a picture of my mother on her counter. Her lips were a dark shade of blood red. Black bags weighed down her face. Her skin was ghostly pale. Her eyes glowed a green brilliance. Her hair was in waves of curly black knots. I smiled. Through all she had suffered, she was so beautiful. My father had tried to suck her dry, yet she had kept fighting. Their queen-sized bed sat in the middle of the room. I crawled in, feeling at peace. I would wait there for Saul. I looked out through the open bedroom door, and there the witch stood with her demonic green eyes and those bully brothers staring at me, arms crossed and hissing at the thought of me curled in the bed of the deceased. I'm sorry, I whispered to them. I did want to come home. They cackled from the doorway. They squealed in unison. She stepped into the room and advanced toward the bed. As she zombie walked over to the bed, her chilling snake voice licked my ears. Not a whimper, not a visit, not a phone call, not a cry, not a tear. Her eyes went from glowing emerald to terrorizing red. Not a... She squealed as her pointed fingertips scratched along my neck. Did you even think? Did you even care? My throat choked up and my lips pursed together. My eyebrows pressed down. My body shook. My heart thumped wildly. And my eyes felt as though they were going to rip from my skull. Not here. Her hand ran along my cheek again. Suddenly her hands clamped my mouth. I knew I would suffocate if I didn't do something. It took all that was within me, pulling from my stomach, my lungs, and my heart. A strain that popped blood vessels in my eyes. I screamed mournfully and loudly. My eyes sprang with blood down my cheeks and my whole body convulsed as I howled and wailed into the suffocating hands on my mouth. She disappeared, but there was no stopping it now. I wailed, screamed, bellowed, and sobbed in the bed of the deceased. There was no waking from this. My cheeks wet, my voice went hoarse, my nose clogged, my body choked. Yet I wailed and thumped, screamed and flailed, all alone in that haunted home. The voice of the started kettle in the kitchen joined mine, and I heard the cries of memories screaming with me in unison through the cracks and crevices of the house. I was alone with the ghosts. The witch would return every so often with a look of utter pleasure at my mourning. She would sway in the center of the room with her head cocked and a contented smile on her dark red lips. She was making sure I was still sobbing. 
feeling the destruction of my decisions. I heard Salt enter the house from where I stood beside the fireplace. Margaret, he called. He'd see me soon enough. I saw him enter from the kitchen. He looked as though he were under water, washed out blank. I waited for him to notice me. He wanted to take me home, but I was home. Margaret, he said again, sweeping the room with his eyes. He focused on me, gave me an odd look. He walked over to where I was. Our faces were practically touching as he stared at me. His face seemed to go pale, and he stepped away with a shake of his head. Margaret, he hollered again as he went to search the rest of the house. I maybe thought it a bit odd, but I didn't want to go with him anyways. I could feel my companion's presence and at last I was safe at home with my family. After searching the rest of the house, he came back to in front of me. He scooped up the photo of Jem and me that I had accidentally dropped. A rusty pair of scissors were beside it. I didn't remember putting those there. He read the note I had written on the back. Concern, then panic, etched its way along his washed-out face, and he charged for the bathroom, screaming my name. He banged through the door that I guess had been locked and disappeared from my sight. I yawned and decided to go back to my mom's bed and lie there and remember stories we used to share. I turned away, and that was the last I saw of Saul. I hope you enjoyed the ending to The Bed of the Deceased. And episode 2 of Crowded Corner. I'm having a lot of fun making this. And so much fun making all those wacky sound effects. Some of my sound effects are found on royalty-free sites. But a lot of them I make on my own. And it has been such a delight dramatizing my story with them. A massive thank you to Catherine Barlow for her intro and outro music. Feel free to follow her on Instagram at kisssinkatebarlow. And a big thank you to Celine Stockland for the cover art. Follow her on Instagram at the JMS Report. Thank you so much for listening. I look forward to so much more with you, and I can't wait to see where unpacking those crowded study corners takes us. 